Hey mamas, the temperatures are finally cooling off here in Cincinnati and it's starting to feel a little bit like fall. And I am so excited because I cannot wait to pull out my boots and all of my fall essentials and especially my Lugs boots. Lugs found its footing as a leader within footwear and fashion space back in the 90s, and they have never wavered with the passing of trends. Whether you remember the brand's early appeal in the hip-hop culture or the countless celebrity endorsements, one thing has remained the same, Lugs' distinctive style. Today, Lugs offers a full range of stylish footwear for the entire family. Everybody in your family, the toddlers, you, the big kids, your husband, everybody can find a pair of boots this fall. Since the brand's early inception in 1993, Lugs remains a prevalent force in the ever-changing landscape of footwear. The brand continues to bolster its product by offering to match the consumer's needs while keeping a finger in the pulse of the latest trends. Outside of boots, the brand also offers casual, athletic, and canvas options to help round out looks every season. Timeless style delivered with each pair. Lugs is offering a 30% off off of all full price items with code MIMOSA30. Um, The link to their site is in the description of this podcast. I know that you guys need a new pair of boots like I did this fall. And let's be honest, we deserve to treat ourselves. So I hope that you go check them out. Um, They're realistically priced. They're stylish and they're great for everyday wear. So go get your pair of Lugs and let's get started with today's episode. Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Mimosas with Moms podcast. I'm your host, Abby Williams. Today, I'm welcoming on Hehe Stewart, the founder of Tranquility by Hehe Maternity Concierge, the creator of the Birth Lounge, and the host of the Birth Lounge podcast. Hehe has a master's degree in human development and family studies and almost 10 years in the family life education field. He helps women prepare for childbirth with research-backed education and expert support to have a confident birth experience while feeling informed and in control of labor. She is also a pro with preparing for postpartum, helping mamas master feeding their tiny human, and understanding newborn sleep. We cover so much in today's episode. We talk about navigating the healthcare system. We talk about knowing your rights and being able to have conversations with um, your professionals that you're working with. We talk about unmedicated labors, if that's what you want. We talk about having confidence in birthing, home birth, postpartum care. We talk about a lot. We really unpack a lot of things to do with um, preparing for birth, birthing, and your postpartum. I hope that you go give Hehe a follow over on Tranquility by Hehe. Um, I get so much information from her content. So you can find her on Instagram over there, and I will have all the links to everything she's doing in the description of this podcast. So be sure to go check her out because Hehe is such a wealth of information. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to leave a five-star rating and review. Your support here on the podcast podcast always means the world to me and I so appreciate you being here. So let's get started. Cheers. Hey, hey, welcome to the Mimosas with Moms podcast. I am so excited that you are joining me here today because I think that birth, you know, it's just like this natural thing. All of us women, like we're born to be doing this or something, right? And none of us really know what the heck we're getting ourselves into. Um, I've birthed four babies and every single time I'm like, I have no idea what's about to come, what's happening. And so I think that when we are gifted people in our life, like you and your beautiful uh, company that you have started, your platform. It is such a gift, just all the resources and the information. So I'm excited that you're here and we can pick your brain. But first, tell my listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for your sweet words <laughs> and, and for having me. It really is a gift on my end too, to be able to serve people and help them have, you know, 
um, really good birth experiences. Like you yeah. said, birth is this natural or something thing. And I help right. you with that, like, or something part. Yeah, um, no, so it's not you, always so natural. <laughs> exactly. Nor is it intuitive, right, right. for everybody. Um, however, I do believe that most people experience some sort of level of anxiety during their pregnancy. Yeah. And so that's my big goal is to really reduce your anxiety and give you control. So, so many people who are pregnant, uh, their, their number one fear is losing control during labor. And I believe that with the right education and the proper preparation, you can really have a, a, a confident and an informed birth experience. We don't get to choose how birth transpires, but we do get to choose how we react at every like pivot. You know, birth is going to throw us curveballs. That's what happens in nature. That is normal. That's expected. That baby keeps doing it once they're on the outside too. (laughs) Exactly. It's just like your first initiation into parenthood is being able to swing with the curveballs in birth. And that is what our approach does. And I call it the control method because um, it has seven steps control. And uh, we actually give you back control starting in your pregnancy. Um, And we step you through how to maintain that control throughout your pregnancy at the end of pregnancy when, you know, things get sticky at the end of pregnancy, your mindset starts to go and you start to ache and you just want this pregnancy to be over, but also there's good benefits to go into 40 weeks and your provider is doing the 39-week induction talk, but you really wanted an unmedicated labor and your family's asking where the baby is and all the moms in your mom group have had their baby. Like the end of pregnancy is a lot. You're speaking to me on like every single one. You know, I've probably (laughs) been in each one with each different baby and it is, it's so hard because like, you're trying to plan for the out-of-town guests. You know, are the grandparents going to be here when baby comes? Are you going to have child care? You know, you've got other little ones at home. Should I plan an induction so that I know somebody is there with my kids? You know, and it's so hard to figure out what is the best route for you and your family. Exactly. And it makes you feel out of control, right? Yeah. Not only do you have decision fatigue, but you also have like analysis paralysis. You have no idea where to start with your decision making. You have no idea where to start with your research. Um, and that is what the control method does and the birth lounge does. Um, yeah. And so I I have a master's in human development family studies. And so what I have done is I've taken childbirth education that is truly based in science, which is going to be very different than what you find at hospital sponsored yeah. childbirth education courses. And I've partnered it with the human development Uh, track. And so people not only understand what to expect in labor from hormones and from the hospital experience, but they also get to see actually what happens inside and throughout and with our bodies. And then that continues in postpartum. So that not only do you understand your options, but you understand why you might choose one option over the other, because you understand the actual process that's happening. Yeah. Can you kind of go through like the control method that you've outlined here? What does that look like? Yeah. So the control method um, starts with seven different, and I call them slippery slopes of labor. Um, And the first one is communication. And this is where a lot of people, they get tripped up, right? Um, Right. This can happen in a variety of ways. Maybe you freeze when it's time for you to advocate for yourself. That's something we help walk you through in this control method. Maybe it's that you don't know how to identify manipulative care. So things like, um, okay, Abby, we are going to do a cervical exam right now. That is not consent. Consent is not a statement, right? And so we teach you how to identify non-consensual care that actually takes the power from you. So an empowering statement would be, hey, Abby, it has been six and a half hours since your last vaginal exam. We were hoping to get a check-in on your cervix. How would you feel about a cervical exam right now. And if you said no, your doctor has two different options. They can say, okay, totally, that's your right. Or they can say, you know, we're actually a bit concerned about X, Y, and Z. So we really do want you to consider having one if you feel okay with that. And at that point, you still have the right to say no. They have said their piece. They have educated you on why they feel this is your best option. And they've also told you why they're suggesting it, right? 
Right. You still have the right to say no. And I think a lot of people don't like it because um, I would I never knew that you could decline, you know, any of the things that they're really saying, hey, let's do this now. Right. And and it really wasn't until like I came to Instagram and I found accounts like yours where you guys really talk about why you might want to decline a cervical check, you know, especially during your pregnancy, when you're going in for this routine, just, you know, your every so many week checkup and they're checking you why you might decline those things, you know, and I never would have even thought to say no to those things. Okay. So that <laughs> transitioned us right into the second thing, which is, oh, right. right. It's options. So your medical providers, the medical system as a whole, um, right. they they typically present things as mandatory or right. standard protocol and what you do. not <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They don't. They very rarely will tell you um, that you have the right to decline. So the control method also teaches you your whole entire options. For example, a lot of people think that you either have to have an unmedicated delivery or an epidural birth. And there are actually, there's a spectrum of not only unmedicated pain relief options, but also medical pain relief options. It's not just unmedicated or epidural. And that is one of the things that we talk to you about the research behind each, the pros and cons, when to use each, when they might be inappropriate to use things like that. Right. And then that navigates us kind of into are in of control, which is navigating a hospital process. Right. So in the hospital, as a consumer, sometimes you have to know the right words to use in order to quote unquote, play the game. Unfortunately, right. the U.S. medical system is a for-profit system. And so uh, their bottom line matters. The money that they bring in matters. And so sometimes in order to have that really great strong sea of communication, you kind of have to know the ins and outs of navigating the hospital policy, kind of like right. identifying manipulative care. You call those providers out and say, you know, makes me very uncomfortable when you come in here and, and tell me what I'm going to do. I would feel much more safe if you would uh, please ask me if I'm okay with cervical exams, right? Right. Now, a lot of people know that they are, are allowed, quote unquote, to say that to their doctor or that they're allowed, quote unquote, to say no. Um, so now we have C-O-N. Your T stands for team. This is super important. This is something that I harp on all the time on my Instagram, <laughs> right? Like I'm always talking about how important. Matter of fact, I have a freebie all about finding your perfect provider. Um, like I recognize how important it is that you have a provider that respects you because it goes back to being able to say yes or no. If you have a provider that you're constantly bumping heads with, your body and your mind are never going to feel safe to open up and have this baby. So having a provider that is aligned with you is crucial. And a lot of people will say, oh, he, he, oh, Abby, you know, my doctor's not even likely to deliver me. This is true. But when you are with the doctors who are not your normal doctors, you always have that card to say, call my provider. And that's kind of like that final you know, that head honcho card of saying like, I'm done having this discussion with you because you are not respecting me. I have already had this discussion with my provider. Please call them. Um, and they will tell you that we've already talked about this. Like this is my plan. Right. Um, right. and that kind of gives you the protection of that ever revolving door of providers that you typically get in the hospital system. Unfortunately, it's not often that you find a hospital system that doesn't have that revolving door. So that's not really in your control. In the control method, we talk about things that are in your control and out of your control. And unfortunately, that's typically out of our control, you know? Um, Okay. So R is going to be the research. We want you to know the research. And, uh, you know, again, we've kind of circled back to if someone has given you only one side of the story to help you make decisions or only what they want you to say yes to or only what they want you to hear, then that's not consensual care. So in the birth lounge and with the control method, you're actually going to find both sides of the research. Um, And they are not only really interesting points for you to look into yourself, but also really interesting points for you to bring them up to your doctor and say, like, this research actually suggests X, Y, and Z, you know, can we have a discussion about that? Would that be applicable to me? Is this something that we could explore together? Do you have strong feelings on why I shouldn't do this? Is there a reason you didn't share this with me? Right. Right. You have tons of questions that you can ask um, once you have access to the whole spectrum of research. The problem is getting access to the whole spectrum of research. 
Yeah. So that's kind of like the pros and cons of like each thing, right? And sure. And also kind of what, you know, there are going to be research articles that suggest doing it. There's going to be pros right. for doing it on everything. And there's going to be articles for not doing it. We want right. to weigh what feels best for you. Um, and your provider's going to have a strong feeling about this because, they have organizations to answer to as well, not only their hospital system, um, right. but if they are board certified OBGYN, they answer to ACOG, which is the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, right? So they do have bosses that kind of tell them what they are allowed and not allowed to say to you. Right. So what are like some things that you feel like are the biggest, I guess, where the patient and the doctor are butting heads on and the birthing experience? Yeah. Um, eating and drinking and labor is one. Yeah. Yeah. Writers really don't like for you to eat and drink and labor, <laughs> even yep. though the research is like uber, uber clear on that one, like uber clear, like undeniable. Right. Um, laboring down. Doctors are so eager to get pushing started just because we're 10 centimeters. And that yeah. is not the only requirement for needing to push like you are really waiting for you to have that urge to bear down in order to have a shorter pushing time um and then also iv use um so nurses feel so strongly that you need an iv even if you are a low-risk birther who is hydrating adequately orally right meaning that you're drinking water throughout your labor the research does suggest, and if you consider what we do at home births, right. you don't have an IV if you're a low-risk birther. Um, now, right. that could change if you become dehydrated. Of course, it'll be a little bit harder to put in an IV in a dehydrated person. Um, right. And nurses always say, you know, if there's an emergency, time matters. This is always such a polarizing topic, and it is the, the hill I'll die on. But if you are working as an L&D nurse, I just believe that you should be able to get an IV in an emergency. Even if it's in a rare emergency, you've got to keep those skills up. Right. It's just part of your job. And right. I know that some nurses don't agree with that. It is just part of the job for me as a consumer. One of my babies right? was delivered without an IV because, like, we got to the doctor and he was on the outside five minutes yeah. after we pulled into the hospital. Like, I didn't even know if I was going to make it upstairs. I made it, like, to the bed and that baby was out. So <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I didn't get anything. They didn't even get my, like, all your intake stuff first. <laughs> they didn't have my name. You know what I mean? I just, like, flew right in and that baby was birthed. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I am, I'm a low risk person. I, you know, I don't have any medical issues. Um, and I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, it goes back to necessary versus standard, right? So if it was truly necessary, people wouldn't be able to birth without it. And so you, you kind of making the comment about I am low risk and don't have any other medically indicated reasons to have an IV. That's really important. If you are high risk, if you have medical indicators that you should have an IV, then that changes the game. But low risk birthers, with a very clean history, even if it's your first baby and you're being able to orally hydrate. Yeah. What's the harm in waiting to see if you actually need an IV? Because the off the the other side of that spectrum is the trade-off is that you have to labor with this really annoying, you know, um, IV in your arm that actually isn't ever needed. And that's kind of where people start to to feel strongly about this is that, well, if it's never going to be needed, I don't want to labor in it with my arm. However, some people feel more comfortable and say, well, I actually feel more comfortable having the IV just in case right. it was an emergency. And either answer is okay. What right. we see is that, you know, the providers really butt heads when people want to say, no, thank you. I'd like to wait and see if I need it. Oh, man, it just makes providers feel so uncomfortable. They I really would be interested to see, like, what are the costs, you know, like, how much are you as the birthing person being charged for these things that aren't really necessary? 
and like how much how much money is being made off of these things you know what I mean <laughs> and also you know litigation plays into it so I think oh, more true. so than money on the IV yeah. the, the insurance companies and the hospital facilities have scared these providers and nurses like yeah. straight out of their pants because they say if you hurt somebody or something happens in labor, even if it's a normal variation of birth. Now we have to remember, trigger right. warning here, death is part of birth, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, we want to try and minimize that and reduce that as much as possible, but it is a normal variation. There will inevitably be, inevitably be some mortality in birth, right? right. Even if it was a normal variation, these hospital systems and these insurance companies have really scared these providers and nurses, like I say, straight out of their pants, that yeah. they will be responsible if anything happens. Um, and that is an incredibly dangerous culture to create um, when you have humans caring for humans in an industry that even the slightest decision can sometimes mean life or death. But the end word lies with the patient. That is tricky waters, right? And so we right. see that play out in patient experience when hospital facilities don't have a good balance of that kind of stuff. So do you feel like the research, though, kind of shows that these things that they've put in place that are, I guess, like normal protocol, so to speak, you know, you get your IV when you walk in, um, you know, they're checking you at 10 centimeters. Are these put in place to decrease mortality rates or like what is the thing there? What does the research say? Yeah, no, unfortunately, a lot of the practices are really out of date. So right. whether they were ever really based in science is kind of iffy. There are some that are just simply not based in any sort of science. They are literally just misogynistic practices, kind of like birthing on your back. There has literally never been research that shows birthing on your back is good. Right. Um, and you know, that's what we see most quote unquote hospital policies dictate. Now for yeah. listeners, please know that this is your body. It is your birth. If someone ever says like, you have to get into this position, you can tell them, I do not have to get in that position. Right. And stay wherever yeah. you're comfortable. If someone's telling you you can't get up, if you have the ability to move your body, um, feel free to move your body. They, they, yeah. I love to say like, they can't not allow you. Um, they don't allow you or not allow you to do something. This is your body, right? But being on your back, never based in research. However, something like um, EFM, so electronic fetal monitoring, we mm -hmm. introduced it because we thought that it would decrease infant mortality. We thought that it would decrease cerebral palsy. We thought that it would um, decrease kind of a lot. And it it hasn't. Actually, it's done the right. opposite. It actually has increased unnecessary C-sections and unnecessary um, interventions, which had le has led to an incredibly high rate of birth trauma. Yeah. Um, and so instead of revisiting these policies, for some reason, we just continue to practice them. Um, and when we think about when hospital policies were put into place, like some of them truly are so old. You know, one thing that we still practice today that has never been revisited and is like literally ancient is how we calculate due dates. Yeah. So, you know, when you, when they say that you're one month pregnant, you're actually 14 days pregnant. And you know why <laughs> we do that? OBs will literally say it's because we've always done it that way. Okay. But if we know, if we know that you ovulate 14 days after, your last period, so you're not pregnant, and then you're only pregnant for 14 days. Why aren't we adjusting the way that we practice? Why aren't we adjusting? Because I don't feel like I ovulate when like people or like when that calendar or that tracker says that I should be ovulating. Like none of my children were ever conceived on yeah. that ovulation window. And so literally like every time, because I had three babies that were back to back. And people, you know, when that happens to you, you get all the fun comments of like, don't you know how that happens? And I would literally, I'm not joking when I say out loud, I don't know how this happens. You know, <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know how these babies are conceived because it just makes no sense. Um, because like, I don't feel like I fall in those standard windows. Um, and then, yeah, those birthing, you know, your due dates. I don't feel like any of mine were right. But my first two 
I knew exactly the day that they were conceived. There was no other day that these conceptions could have happened. And my babies were both late because they said that my due dates were earlier than what they were supposed to be. But you knew. And I knew. And I was like, you know, I went back and I'm like looking at the calendar and I went back to my doctor and I'm like, you know, this, like by my calculation, this is not when I'm due. Like I should be due on this date. And they're like, no, no. So then, you know, I go past my due date. And once you go past your due date, then they start talking induction, right? Because you've already passed that due date. So I was induced with my first two, kind of not knowing. Um, my first baby, I was 21 years old. And I did, I felt all kinds of different things during that birth, right? I felt like a 21-year-old going into birth a baby and not a birthing person who, you know, I don't know. I felt like I didn't have a lot of voice in the in that situation. Um, it was a lot different, different of an experience than birthing my next three. When I was married, I was later in my 20s, you know, a more society acceptable age to be birthing babies. Um, and I felt it. I felt it in those hospital settings of, I don't know like just kind of stigma almost of this young motherhood. Um, But like going in and being induced at 21 years old and not really knowing, you know, that I could say anything about anything. um, That was hard, I guess, you know, and then just like the complete opposite with my next, the last two, they were both natural births, no epidural. They were, I barely made it to the hospital with either one. Um, And I wish like, you know, I kind of would have had more conversations about what all my birthing options were. I don't know that I would have ever chosen to not have an epidural or to have the natural birth. Um, But then having the natural birth, I was like, this is actually a lot better. And I wish somebody would have told me, you know, why, you know, what are the positives? Yeah, it hurts like hell and you feel it all. But your recovery time, my recovery times were so much different with my epidural births, my medicated births and my unmedicated births. Um, The whole experience was different. Can we dive into that stigma that you talked about? So the stigma that you talked about feeling as a young mother. Yeah. The stigma follows you in other places in birth too, right? So if you're someone who's super educated and you're very active participant in your medical care, there's a stigma that comes with that too. Well, you must not trust your medical providers. This is where we get comments like, well, I've been a doctor for 23 years, so you should just trust me. (laughs) Or, well, this is your first baby. So, you know, maybe you should just trust me since I've done this for so many years. Or, well you know, this is your first baby. Are you sure you know what you really want? Like mm-hmm. you've got to believe women. And now we've circled back to not believe in women on their due date. Right. But that right. same stigma of choosing what to do with your pregnancy, whether you choose to be induced, whether you choose to go past your due date. Um, and then the stigma that follows you into postpartum too, making any right. sort of decision comes with a stigma. And I think the biggest thing that we can remind ourselves in birth is like, it is best to be selfish in birth. And it truly is. Um, They are one and done situations. You have four birth stories, but they are all very unique and individual. They are all so different. Right? They are. You don't get to do this over again. And a lot of people go into this being like, well, this is my first baby. I'll just like get better each time. But they are, they're singular events. They don't connect like that. You can absolutely build and get better with each birth, um, but it won't redeem the birth before it because they are their own individual story. I do believe that birth kind of transforms people and you can be transformed as a human and be redeemed as a I think you're transformed birther. each time. Like exactly. every birth, I, you know, I birth a new baby and I birth a new version of myself. I don't come home the same. You know, I'm now a mom of two. I'm now a mom of three. I'm now a mom of four. And 
that's different, you know? And it's not linear, right? Yeah. So it's not like every time you get happier or it gets better. It's kind yeah. of up and down. Yeah. And it's okay if that's what your story looks like. I right. promise you it will get better. And there and are like different things place. that you do learn along the way or that you can yeah. get better at, you know, where maybe my first time around I wasn't advocating for myself. And then by number four, I was saying I'm having a lot of, you know, anxiety issues during pregnancy and not, you know, it's not starting postpartum. Like I know what's going on here. I know that something's not right and I can talk to my doctor about it. Um, you know, I think that my postpartum care got better as I went along because I knew what was supportive for me and what wasn't. Um, so I think like, you know, we can learn, but I agree like you, it's not a do over. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the parts in your in your control, so setting up that postpartum right. care, learning how to advocate for you, those are the things that are going to get better. But the things out of your control, the right. doctor on call for your fourth baby, <laughs> you know, you totally love them and you wish right. they were the one that was on call for your second baby. Right. Um, or, you know, the postpartum experience. So maybe your first and second baby, you had a great postpartum and your third baby hits and you're like, oh my God, is this what depression feels like? Like, I do not feel like myself. <laughs> this is not fun like my other ones, right? That up and down is often demonized. Um, yeah. And it it shouldn't be because it is so many people's stories because these births and these postpartums are totally individual. They yeah. do come together and make you a whole person. Um, yeah. But when we think about them, they are standalone events and they yeah. have to be treated as such, right? Right. Hehe, <laughs> can we talk a little bit about home births and, yeah. you know, how to, I guess, navigate that or decide is a home birth for me? Um, you know, and I think that home births kind of get a bad rap sometimes or a little stigmatized. Um, and how can we kind of normalize those experiences a little bit more? Yeah. Um, wow. Demonized home birth. Like that is the name of the game here in America, right? Um, <laughs> I, I always challenge people to start here when we think about home birth. If 99% of births transpire as low risk as expected, right. um, normal kind of straightforward pregnancies, and 1% require medical intervention, medical support, and are, you know, high risk. Yeah. Why do we see 99% of births in the hospital and 1% at home? It's yeah. very bizarre when we think about that, but yeah. we follow the trail and we go, well, goodness gracious, our induction rate is high. And like, holy moly, look at our C-section rate. And like, wow, 70% birth trauma. How did we get here? Oh, oops. We didn't match up 99 to 99 and one to one. Right. We actually flip-flopped it. Because like um, I probably would have been a good candidate for home births. <laughs> heck yeah. Anybody yeah. who barely makes it to the hospital. And, like, barely made birth, it. Like yeah. I did not need them. I did not need them. And then I got slapped with this huge bill at the end exactly. for them to like do. They did nothing. They just caught the baby on the way out, I guess. I don't know. You know, isn't it funny <laughs> that you pay for insurance your whole life and then when you actually have a procedure, you still owe this huge bill. Now, home birth, My babies that were is, so expensive. <laughs> I mean, and having multiple kids is, yeah. I mean. And like back to back, mm -hmm. like we had mm -hmm. back to back years of just like, <laughs> holy cow. <laughs> like you basically owe the hospital yeah. your firstborn kid. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, actually, can you keep them? Because I can't afford this bill. <laughs> you can just have this one. We'll take it as a donation. <sighs> oh my goodness. Crazy. Um, yeah, so home birth, you know, when when we think about home birth, access is a big thing. Right. Two factors insurance isn't going to cover it. So right. you got to have the extra monetary means. Now, so many home birth midwives will also work with you not only on price adjustment, but also payment plans. So please know that. The second thing is going to be access. Are they around you and does your state allow it? Right. Right. There are still states where home birth is illegal, where birthing people literally can't choose to have their baby at their home. That is this real? Like I had real. I oh, never yeah. heard this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. what happens if you don't make it to the hospital? You know what I mean? Like what if you, you know, have an accidental home birth? Yeah. Like I could have I could have yes. very well been birthing a baby on the side of the highway. You know, am I am I in trouble? Um, are you in trouble? No, I don't think that you would be in trouble. Um, I think that there are a lot of midwives out there who when it comes to your house. No, no, no. I think they accidentally attend 
accidental homers. Oops, yeah. I was at the right place at the right time. Yeah. Or, you know, they're hired as their doula and then oopsie daisy, um, we accidentally had a home birth. Now, yeah. you know, it sounds like you and I are kind of making light of this and we're condoning something that quote unquote is illegal, but there's so many layers to this. How can you tell somebody that they can't birth where they're comfortable? How can you literally yeah. di- dictate that someone goes to a different place? Um, right to to have their baby that seems really unreal um also there is a level of consumer responsibility if someone wants to have a home birth and they feel like that's best for them and they have deemed this professional um suitable to hire i believe they should be able to um you know it's not it's not anyone else's job to dictate how you have your baby um So people have strong feelings about that. But when we look at the safety of home birth, as long as we are doing, you know, low risk birth at home, um, you're, you're probably safer at home than you are at the hospital. Now, I think that like the majority of people or like maybe even a past version of myself, you know, when you hear the term home birth, you think like, I'm just going to be at home birthing this baby by myself. If anything bad happens, like I'm just shut out of luck, right? And I don't know, like that's kind of how I feel like home birth is viewed and not that you do have a professional there with you. You do have access to support. You do have, you know, care. Yeah, you're not by yourself. So I think right. that's a big one is people are like, oh, I'm just I'm by myself. No, you're not. You're with a very <laughs> that's gonna be me and medical husband. professional. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and look, that would be scary. That would be scary. <laughs> some people choose it. And some people choose, you know, yeah. that as what feels best aligned to them. I have yeah. friends who have had very successful and freeing free births that they would yeah. not choose to have an assisted birth ever again. That for yeah. me is not aligned with me. However, home birth feels very aligned with me, right? I feel much more comfortable at my house with medical professionals. You have have the opportunity to interview the home birth midwives that you will choose. So you have yeah. the opportunity to ask them about these things. What will you do if there's an emergency? What kind of emergencies have you seen in the last five years and how did you handle right. them? What are the tools and equipment that you bring to our home to handle emergencies, to handle pain relief to handle this, this, and this. This is why interviewing your midwives are really, really is like a really important step, right? Um, The next thing is make sure you know who you're hiring. Don't hire somebody just because they came really well recommended on a Facebook group. You should actually sit down with this person and make sure that they are a fit for you and that their answers make you feel safe and secure and like they know what they're doing and that they can handle an emergency. Like they are educated to keep you safe when things have exceeded your knowledge, because that at the end of the day is what our medical professionals are there for. They are not there to tell us what to do or how to do it. They are there as a consultant, as a support person, as someone to turn to when we say, I need help making a decision. And I don't, have all the knowledge or the education to know all of these answers. I'm still going to make the choice for myself. It's still in my hands, but I'm coming to you for some extra education or support or knowledge. Yeah. No, I think that those are great, you know, a great piece of advice. And, you know, um, what do you feel like about unmedicated versus medicated births? Um, in regards to just like my general feelings or something specific? Or I guess just like helping women navigate whether they want a medicated or an unmedicated birth. How do we kind of navigate these things? Yeah. So I think that remembering that there's never a straight line in birth, it's never A to B is really, (laughs) really important. Um, So it's not so much deciding on whether you will have an unmedicated or a medicated delivery. It's more about 
knowing where your personal boundaries are. If I get Mm -hmm. to this place in labor, I will consider X, Y, and Z. But that requires you to understand your X, Y, and Z. And it can't just be an epidural because you have so many other options. What are the other options? Yeah. So this is a whole module that I teach in the birth lounge, but you have like um, injectable opioids like Nubane or Stadol. You have um, like breathable pain relief, which is going to be nitrous oxide. It comes through a mask. Um, It's very similar to laughing gas that you get at uh, the dentist, right? Um, We have some back injections that go in your lower back and it's just saline. Um, they're, they're saline palpules and, and we're going to put some saline right on top of your nerves and that gives you some pain relief. There are many options that you have even why don't at they, the hospital. Why don't they tell you about all these options? So this is where I think the money comes in. I think it's so much better if you are epiduralized and you're in bed and the monitors get to stay on very nice and cozy because you're not moving around and you're not out of bed and you're not on hands and knees and you're not climbing in and out of the shower and you're not bouncing on the birth ball. You're in bed and you're sitting and you have an epidural and you feel great and you're easy for your nurse. Um, Also, um, you know, if things don't work out, it's much easier to have a C-section at that point. Right. So I think it's it's a bunch of things. I think it's money. I think it is control. I think yeah. it makes the medical professional's job easier. And I think um, there's politics at yeah. play, which is Because I never, you know, had any, you know, options. It was just kind of like, okay, are you ready for your epidural yet or no? And with the first two, you know, I had my epidural. And pretty early on, you know, before I really experienced like true contractions, I was, I got the epidural, you know, and they let you. And then, so then uh, by baby number three, when I went into labor naturally for the first time, it wasn't induced. I had no idea like what was happening, you know, and then it was like super intense. By the time I got to the hospital, I'm like, I need my epidural because this is so painful. They're like, well, we're past that point now. <laughs> you're, you're going, you know, so then I was with the last two, I was unmedicated. And like I kind of said before, I wish like somebody would have kind of had these conversations with me or that there were other options available you know, and a conversation around what all these different options are, because my recovery time after baby came was so different going from the medicated births to my unmedicated births. And so I'm glad to hear that you have a whole module around that. And I hope that my listeners go and find those things. Um, Because I think that just being informed really leads to a confident birth. And did you feel like your recovery was better the second two times because of the actual induction, like medication, like the Pitocin and the epidural, or because because we didn't let things get started on their own, that it was more of a forcible type approach? I think that mine was more the epidural. Um, Mm -hmm. It was the after effect. It was being stuck in the bed like all day. Um, And then, you know, I had to be, I had to get a catheter because you're still waiting for the epidural to wear off. Um, After my second, like I lost a lot of blood. So they like kept the catheter in me for a really long time. And that was irritating. Where then my second two, like I didn't have that problem. I had my two hours of skin to skin time. We were in our little love bubble. And then when, you know, I passed the baby off to dad, to me, dad, I got up out of bed and I'm like walking around, you know, and I think getting up and moving was good for my mood. It was good for my body. Um, I I needed to get out of that bed. (laughs) And we I can needed see, to get out of my yuck. <laughs> yeah, we can see how being immobile in labor yeah. actually does kind of follow through to the actual birth and yeah. then postpartum and your recovery, right? Yeah. And now, years later, your memory of your yeah. birth. Um, and it's they all were much, very intense. They were much better. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and I, I think like you kind of said earlier about being stuck on our backs birthing, you know, because during my unmedicated births, it was not natural feeling to me to be on my back. I wanted to be on my hands and knees, like do not move me from my hands and knees. 
And they let me stay on my hands and knees until it was like go time. And then they're like, all right, flip over, like push the baby out. And I did, you know, I didn't really know that I could say no, I guess. Um, and it was fine. Like they came out super fast, but being able to labor in a comfortable position for me, you know, I'm happy like I had that experience or that I was able to move around. I guess with the epidural, you're not feeling all those things. So moving around wasn't, you know, I wasn't trying to get comfortable. I was, I wasn't feeling it. Um, so that was just a different experience, but I did. I loved my unmedicated births. <laughs> I love to hear that. So we actually have a, a essential guide to epidural use and we yeah. teach you how to get into different positions to help your epidural actually settle a little bit better than if you were being on your back and yeah. also how to help your, your labor still progress. So we see with epidurals too, um, you know, a much higher risk of failure to descent where your baby actually doesn't drop or failure yeah. to progress, which in my opinion, I don't believe failure to progress actually exists. I think it's a failure to feel safe. I think it's a failure to feel heard in your birth. I yeah. think it's a failure to, um, you know, maybe it's a mental block, but your body's not going to put you into labor and then just like stop, right? That's like <laughs> right. not how that works. There is a block somewhere and a lot of times it comes down to feeling safe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that epidural guide is really helpful and it kind of shows how to keep that upright motion because you had talked about, you know, being able to labor in the position is super helpful. It also reduces your pushing time because yeah. it helps your baby stay in the right position. It helps gravity work with us. It helps your your hips and your pubic bone and your tailbone be it mobile. It definitely did. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I think I pushed like three times with each of them and they were out. <laughs> they came there fast. You go. Yeah. And your, you know, your, yeah. your labor is shortened and your push yeah. time is shortened and um, your vaginal tearing is reduced. There's yeah. just so much benefit in being able to labor upright and in a position yeah. that feels good to you, um, yeah. even if you have an epidural. Yeah. Hee hee, before we wrap up, let's touch on the postpartum care. Yep. Um, what can moms do to have a better postpartum? Yeah. So first, I think, again, realizing there is no straight line from A to B. True. Right? <laughs> um, we are never going to like pop out a baby and everything goes as planned. Um, it's never going to be like that. <laughs> Remembering yeah. that your baby is a human. So we love to put numbers on babies. This baby should be drinking two ounces every two hours, having this many diapers. Okay. There is nobody on earth that eats the same amount of calories every single day, seven days a week at the same time, right down to the minute. Like your child is a human too. So if right now they drink 1.5 ounces and later they drink 2.25 ounces and a little bit later they drink another two ounces, it has all pretty much evened out. It is okay, right? right. Same thing with diapers. If we're expecting eight diapers, but your baby gives you seven, it's okay. If you're expecting seven diapers and your baby gives you 10, it's probably okay. Make sure it's not diarrhea and they're not getting like dehydrated, right. but that fluctuation is totally normal. It's very biological, right? They are human. And then I think the third thing after that is to just make sure that you protect your bubble, that you have people around you but they are very selective people, right? These are people who do not judge you and they are going to support you and they are not going to take from your pot. You can, they can put into your pot. They can fill your pot. They can do your house and your laundry, take care of your baby. You feel comfortable leaving your baby while you shower and sleep with these people. You go to these people for emotional support, but anyone who takes and dips into your pot, they got to go. You are not allowed in postpartum in the first little bit. And when I say first little bit, I truly mean like the first four to six weeks, yeah. right? This is a time to really, this is really great space. advice. Yeah, no, I it's totally true. agree. I totally it's agree. And protect COVID, your space. I love that. Yeah. With COVID yeah. it's become both easy and hard. Everybody wants to be in that pod. So everyone's waiting to see if they've made the cut, but you have a really easy way to say like, unfortunately we're keeping things small. It right. is never easy to have these conversations. You guys, unfortunately people are going to be unhappy, but you have to be selfish. It is. And sometimes about you they're guys. like our parents. They're, yeah. you know, the people that are the closest yes. to us that just aren't helpful though. They just don't make the cut. I know. Unfortunately, you know, 
And I love that protect your space because it is, it's a very vulnerable time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you're not watering where you're growing from, you know, Mm -hmm. it is not good. It's dangerous. It's (laughs) slippery, right? You can really slip down into a dark space. um, And we want to make sure that everyone that's in your home and supporting you in those first four to six weeks is actually bringing light to you. Yes. Um, No one's dimming your light. Yes. I so agree with you. Can you tell my listeners the benefits of having a doula before we wrap up? Because those are the services that you offer, right? Yes. All right. So benefits of having a doula. Um, There's a lot of really great benefits and doulas all practice a little bit differently. But for our specific practice, I think one of the best benefits is that you truly do go in informed and educated um, and confident enough to have these conversations and advocate for yourself during labor. You do it um, in a very respectful way where you keep that nice trusted bond with your provider, but you also are a very active participant in your um, your pregnancy care and your birth care and your postpartum care and your child's pediatric care, right? We teach you how to be an active participant using evidence-based research-backed information so that you have that confidence, so that you can have these conversations and navigate that. Um, Having a doula by your side can reduce the length of your labor and it reduces your risk of a C-section by 25% and it reduces your um, risk of unnecessary induction. Of course, anything medically needed, um, any good doula would be encouraging you to follow medically necessary um, advice. But a doula is going to help you weed through those old policies that we talked about and help share with you that updated research and say, you know what, it's interesting that your hospital has a policy that doesn't allow you to eat during labor because the research actually starting for the last like 25 years suggests that we should, you know, or X, Y, and Z, whatever it is. Um, That's the benefit of having a doula. You have someone on your team that is an expert in birth and they're there the entire way through. Um, Our particular practice is a concierge practice. So we, our clients have a 24 hour line that they get access to um, their team of doulas. Um, And so they always have um, someone to answer their questions and to talk to them and, and um, very comprehensive approach of pregnancy through labor and then into postpartum um, just to help bridge the gaps of what the American society fails to give new parents on this journey, unfortunately. <laughs> I know, I know. We definitely like could do better. I used a doula during my last pregnancy and I love that I just like, I feel like it's becoming more normalized or more people are utilizing doulas. Um you know, so whether it's your first baby, your second baby, or your fourth baby, like I finally got around to, um, make sure that you're being supported and that you're utilizing resources that are encouraging you and educating you and, you know, just being an extra bucket filler for you. Um, he, he, tell my listeners where they can find you. Yeah, so you can find The Birth Lounge at thebirthlounge.com. And from there, you'll be able to find our podcast. You'll be able to find The Birth Lounge membership. Um, And then I have a course also on The Secret Sauce to Pushing where I teach people how to push effectively and efficiently so that you're not pushing for hours and hours. Um, And then if you're interested in our doula services, one-on-one services, travel services, or postpartum services, you can just go to tranquilitybyhehe.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining me, Hehe, and cheers to a better birth. Oh, thanks. Cheers to a better birth. Bye, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks.